This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Visit JabberjawMedia.com for more shows like this one. Oh, Mark's the Spot. The Outer Loop Podcast is designed to give listeners a behind-the-scenes look at the most interesting happenings from week to week at the label management company. Host Mike Mowry and Outer Loop staff members Lance Rowe, graphic designer, and Susie Lee, project coordinator, discuss what it takes to run a label from every aspect, highlighting the successes and challenges from week to week. Check out new episodes at JabberjawMedia.com. Trevor dropped the ball again. Dude, enough is enough. He's got to go. But we started this band together. That's where we come in. Jump into the fire. We here at Jump Into the Fired hand out the pink slip to that certain member without you having to via text or email. I'm sorry to inform you that your services will no longer be needed in Taint Machine. What? But I need that band we have a friendly courteous staff willing to read a list of your reasons and handle hearing their side of the story and finally the questionable places you would choose to relieve yourself i had to shit somewhere and the bass drum made sense at the time you really had to be there our staff is trained to handle breakdowns and tears but i gave that band everything well you also gave them pink eye 12 times. Jump into the fire. Don't be clickbait when getting rid of dead weight. Be a pro. I'm dead weight. You don't know me. Well, now we know you're unemployed. Jump into the fired firing services. Jump into the fire. Is the Metal Sucks Podcast with your host, Brandon Hahn and Petter Spych. I'm ashamed of myself. <laughs> we should be ashamed of ourselves for writing that dumb bit. What's going on, guys? Metal Sucks Podcast back again. I'm one of the hosts, Brandon Hahn, and I'm joined by the other host. Petter Spych. Yeah. It was too long. <laughs> it was too long. We were really trying. <laughs> We were pushed for time. Hey, man, whatever. God Maybe damn. someone got a giggle. Yeah. <laughs> well, look, dude, I'm going to tell you. Anytime you hear this sound effect in any bit, you know, it, like, it you're really, re- you're reaching. You're reaching. We're really reaching. Like, that's something, that, that's something that everyone has been making fun of. Okay, like, hearing this sound clip is like when somebody says, like, hey, that's what she said. You know what I mean? Oh, like, yeah. God. You know? But uh, you said you wanted that sound clip. I wanted the sound clip because that's probably my favorite internet thing of all time. I really like the riff. The riff riff after the... Yeah, yeah. But anyways, um, yeah, it was long. A little long. A little long. A little long. (sighs) It's not the first time we failed. (laughs) Oh, believe me. We're going to fail tons more. I think everyone that's listening to the... How many people do you think have listened to this show and be like, oh, they fail the second they turn on the microphone? You Um, know what I mean? They, They fail when they wake up. Well, like <laughs> I'd like to see where they're at on their 14th Boom. episode. Boom. Bitches. Boom. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Ooh, I got aggressive. You did. You really did. There was no reason aggressive. to call them bitches. There was no reason to call them well, bitches. Well, you're the one that always says the word, the C word, so right. I, I had to go somewhere else. Oh, of course. So, new story time, right? Who, oh, who are we interviewing today, bro? Oh, my God. Aaron Turner, man. 
from ISIS. Yeah, ISIS, Sumac, uh, many bands, but we're actually going to be talking about the uh, Live 7 record that was released recently by ISIS. An amazing record. Melbourne, so, Australia is when they recorded we that. We recorded that back in the day, but uh, that's the, uh, the interview we got. Obviously, we're going to play a, a tune off that record as well. But uh, that interview, guys, stay shortly. It should be about 15 or 20 minutes from now. So don't, don't, don't give up because of the bit. Yeah. Don't give up on us. <laughs> We're going to do news stories. We promise we'll be good the rest of the show. <laughs> you just dogged us for that. And you're going to play it again? <laughs> yes. Play the riff again. I don't care about that. I don't have the riff. I know. Did it, did it. That I don't was, have it. I don't have it. I fucking blew it. That made me laugh. Anyways. Oh. <clears throat> yeah. That was one of those things where it sounded good Like when you heard it. You're like, yeah, all right. Bro, and I then, was and when we were in the editing bay, I was laughing every time. Yeah. But then, like, when, and then when, when you hear getting, it in its entirety, you're like, this is still yeah. going on? Yeah, you're like, when you hear it in its entirety and you're like, wait a minute, this is what we're presenting to people, then you feel bad. Yeah. <laughs> and then all of a sudden the doubt creeps in. <laughs> and then you talk about it live instead of just letting it, let, you should, we should just let it die. No, it's all about being real. I don't want to be, I don't want to be phony with the Metal Sucks listeners. Nah, I want to be 100%, I want to be 100% honest with them. Yeah, I'm sorry, Aaron Turner. That was the bit for your episode. (laughs) (laughs) And that's it. I know. Uh, Anyways, uh, news story time, guys. Uh, The biggest news story uh, this week, not a lot lot went down, really. I mean, things happened. A lot of new music came out, all those things. Uh, The latest after driving record came out. We'll talk about that later. But uh, the big uh, story was uh, that Chino Moreno from uh, the Deftones, obviously, he said that he did not want to tour with Korn probably, probably ever again. He said he loves those guys, but he doesn't want to tour with them again, which makes complete sense to me see that makes no sense to me because if you love those guys then why would you not want to tour with them so there must be something where you're like look i love you guys in short doses like i love you guys for like 10 minutes and then all of a sudden you're like whoa head is really burned out but you know what i mean and it's just you know what i mean but don't you think it's the same exact audience like aren't corn and deftones audience like almost the same like if you're gonna tour with a band say say the deftones goes on tour with uh i don't know a newer band oh, well, let's say um, they go let's say they go on tour with sniffles into the microphone that was- great band <laughs> you can let that go too <laughs> <I know. laughs> say they go on tour without the driving let's right. just say all right two different audiences Soto audiences, and you're going to have two different crowds come in there, learn each other's music, yada, yada, yada. Corner of the Deftone. Oh, so you're saying there's no reason, there's no growth. There's no growth with Corner yeah. of the Deftone. I think, it's, I think it's a step back for him. Now, do I think like fans of both bands will all run to the show and it would sell out? Yes. Yeah, just like the Rob Zombie Corn Tour was a hit uh, last year, you know, which they revived from years right. before. So it would work. But as far as Deftones, would they really grow or would they just be kind of like, you know, nostalgia in a way if they toured with corn. I think it would be, well, I definitely think it would be an element of nostalgia, but see, it's crazy because like when I listen to corn and I listen to Deftones, like, yeah, there are elements that are similar to mm-hmm. their music, but then there's so many different things that totally separate them from the two. It does. But I think the, I think the, the new metal, um, rise, which, like I said, new metal. See, I don't, I don't consider Deftones part of the new metal rise. I don't <clears throat> really. I mean, they were. In I think that they're era. like the founders of it I with Corn. I think they were. I think they were there. But again, I think what happened with the Deftones, it was like you know they came in with that. Basically, what Adre- happened was and around the fur are like yeah, but new those, metal records to a T. But those were like records that those were like records that women could listen to and like. You know, there's something about Chino that women love. You yes, know? I agree. And, and, but there and. Corn doesn't really have that same appeal, you know? Yeah, no, I see that. But again, I like, do think they're going to get different audiences, though. 
Can, can you not see Corn saying that about like Limp Biscuit? Say no, we never want to tour with. Limp. We love those guys. Limp we don't ever want to tour with Limp, Limp Biscuit. You know I, I, mean? like, I get what you're saying, things. but what I'm saying is that don't you think Corn would see that as a step back? Like, oh no, we've uh, passed that phase of our career. Well, that's what I'm saying. Why that's... would we tour with Limp Biscuit again? That's where Deftones kind of are at, which is what I think. Well, see, I think Deftones and Corn right now are on the same level. Like, I think they. If they go into a venue, you're pretty much going to sell the same amount of tickets for each band. I don't think Corn is bigger than. Now, granted, I agree this latest Corn record, though, like when Head came back to the band, they definitely picked up the intensity a little bit. It's a lot. Well, this is lot. the second record with Head back in the band, but this is the one that's more. I guess I haven't heard it. Well, bro. no, no, this I is the first. But this is the record where he brought his influence. Like, yeah, I think you so. know what I mean. Like yeah. he put, he had a lot of influence on this record, and it's harder. And mm. it's like, and I definitely I like it a lot more than basically the last like three or four you know what i mean yeah yeah yeah. no i think a lot of people have said that about this record i just haven't heard it so i can't comment and i think deftones for me i think they've been consistent they've been really good they've been consistent but they haven't been hard they haven't been hard in a long time i know i i I, know they have a couple of songs like rocket skates you know what i mean that was like a hard song but if you listen to their new record a lot of it is it's melodic though yeah they've never been a band that i would consider i mean they're like a heavy alternative is what i call bands like like the deftones or melvins things like that they're like a heavy alternative but the thing is like when the deaf when the deftones go hard though like Uh granted last week you know we made fun of the whiny thing or whatever but like when the deftones go hard they go hard like chino's got a great yell like i love i think i think he's got that trademark yell that he has is is awesome i love it you know now, but it's like but when you get into that melodic stuff where it's like it's not really there's nothing really that catches my ear you know that's basically what they've been ever since like white pony and i like them since white pony i'm not i'm not an see i love adrenaline i love around the fur i love adrenaline but, but for it's me, like Death white pony is a great been, album yeah. i'm not saying white pony is a bad album i'm not saying all the albums they put out since were bad it's just they definitely got away from that drop d drop c in certain situations sound where they're just really coming at and you. where's your corn cut off Corn cut off. I mean, I would probably say when they started doing, uh, you know, uh, word up that, oh, you know, oh, like, so you stuck with them for a while. My cutoff would be the self-titled man. I thought life is peachy was like the worst record ever. I mean, I know people love no, that I Adidas song, but I remember I, I was like, like 16 no, no, no. or 15 when that came out. For I was me, like, this is horrible. For me, I love the first record. The mm-hmm. first record is just a timeless. I, I agree with the first it really, record. That is one of those records that really encapsulated the time. At the, you know, like they, they played it in its entirety, and I wanted to go. They just it was great. Yeah, I wanted you know, to go to that. Yeah. And it's like so that first record was amazing. Life is peachy. Didn't really like it. But then, you know, Follow the Leader came along, and it's like, granted, that went commercial. But, dude, those songs were pretty fucking good. I think that record's very dated. Like, very dated. Well, I'm you know, just, like, I think there's about three or four good songs on there. But, again, I'm a guy that listens to an album in its entirety. I like the whole thing. I'm not a song guy. Am I saying there's not good songs on, on uh, Issues even? No, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not saying there's not good songs on Untouchables or Take a Look in the Mirror. You know, but I'm saying album-wise, I didn't like anything since the first one, really. So I'm not a huge corn fan. Deftones, I think since, um, you know, White Pony, I think I've put out, besides their self-titled, have put out better and better and better and better records. Like I thought Gore was maybe not better than the one previous, but it was like right on target. Same with Diamond Eyes. I really like the Deftones. So I like the fact that Chino's like, no, I'm not going to go back and tour with these guys. I'm not going to try to reunite our fans. I'm going to go this way and try to get new fans because, like I said, it's, it's, it's the same fans for a lot of the bands. So anyways, I'm with them on that. <clears throat> Moving on to the next, you you are not. I just think my. I just want to know what it was. Is it because corn parties too hard? Is it because no? It's because of what I said. I think 
Yeah. I, I mean, I don't know that for a fact, obviously, but I think it's because of the nostalgia thing. A lot of bands need to move forward, you know, um, to feel relevant and, and, and just be like, hey, you know, I'm not stuck in the past. And a lot of bands are like, no, I want to live in the past. And I think the Deftones don't want to live in the past. I definitely get corn. I don't think corn does either. I don't think honest. anybody wants to live in the past. But well, again, though, everyone knows corn. And here's the one thing, though. Deftones know that if you put corn on the bill, everyone's going to come see Deftones and corn. But you say not everyone wants to live in the past. But when we talk about a band like Kiss, like, are they really trying to? No, you know, be, of course no, not. That's what I'm saying. Of course, they just want to. Cor- and their fans are the same. Kiss is, pack- and- Kiss is packed it in forever. Yeah, okay? that's, that's what They're- I'm saying. Deftones aren't there. Right. No, neither is corn. I agree. But I'm, what, what I'm saying is, though, is I, I think it goes beyond that. I think there's something personal that's like, dude, these guys party too hard or I don't like the way they conduct themselves off stage or whatever. I mean, I'm sure there's something there's some tie in there. Maybe there's one member of the band that they don't like. You know what I'm saying? Maybe. No, uh, no I completely agree with that. So the next story we're moving to. Um, this is just a quick thing we can talk about real quick because I'm real the suicide silence record that just people won't leave alone. So, yeah, I'm whining about it. I'm tired of it. I'm over it. Like right. the record's not that bad. It's not the old school record, but this band's been through a lot. And right. the constant hate for this is just insane. So some guy, he gets a vinyl copy of the, the latest record. If you go to metalsucks.net, you'll see the story. And he just decides, it was a gift, first off, and he decides to burn it, videotape it, and then put it on the internet for the fans. This is, dude, enough is enough with this nonsense. This guy that burned this record has never put out a record. He's got no respect for music, and he's a fool, all right? You don't take someone's record, hate on them, burn it for kids to make fun of them. It's a bully tactic. It's awful. And enough with this. Well, Move on from this fucking record. That's the one thing that I, that's the one thing that the internet has done, though, because all we've done is just congratulate people for taking extreme views or doing something extreme. So it's like, all right, fine. You get the suicide, suicide silence vinyl, and you're like, oh, I'm going to burn this. As and a then, gift. As a gift. Yeah. And then you're going to go throw it in a fire, and you're just like, yeah, that's what I think of your band. And videotape it for kids to yeah. be like, awesome. Yeah, yeah, awesome. We hate them, too. Awesome. We hate them, too, because, because uh, they replaced the lead singer. Oh, dude. No, fucking what a piece of you. Yeah, why, but yeah but, I know what you're saying. Because of the, the, sound, the change of the sound. Yeah. But that's what I'm saying. You know? But, uh, yeah, so it's just enough is enough with this stuff, dude. Like, there's a point where you have to, like, realize what, what's going on. Like, you know, there's a point where you have to realize what it took for them to put out that record. You know, um, the balls, you know, whatever. They were excited about it. They were all about it. But to burn their record, that's something that you do for, like, um, you know, hey, this guy's a Nazi sympathizer. You don't burn a record for because they changed the sound. You don't take someone's art and light a match to it, you know, because it's St. Anger, you know, because it was a bad record. It's not what you do. It's just really disrespectful to the music. Well, what and, it is and to, to, to like to me, it's just to the whole scene. And in the general. worst, the worst thing about it though is this guy that set fire to the record. What the fuck is he doing? He's what just, is he doing? Does he know how to play any instrument? Does he have a band? Oh, I don't know. I mean, he, I, I didn't research that part. So, you know, before I, I comment, if he does or doesn't, I don't know. Yeah. But I'm sure if I he does have like, a band and he put out a record and, and someone's, you know. Like if it's the, Dave Mustaine. All right. You know what I mean? Like there, that at least is a guy that, you know, he's got a little bit of clout and he was, and he's like, ah, this band sucks. And he throws it in the fire. Yeah. Is it a dick move? Absolutely. But at least he's doing something. At least he's put himself out there in the forefront. See, that's the one thing that really kills me is like the one people that the people that do the most extreme things really have nothing to lose. 
So they'll sit there and post a video of them burning this vinyl record. Mm. And all it is is just an extreme response. All right, so you mildly don't like it. Okay. But are you telling me you'd rather listen to Drake? Why aren't you fucking burning that record? Why aren't you burning a Kanye record? You know what I mean? But no, instead what you did is he took – he realized that people – we're piling on this band, yeah. and he's like, all right, now it's the gang mentality. Now I'm going to try and go bigger and further than everyone else, and now look at all the fucking idiots that are sharing this video. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's stupid. It's a sheep mentality, it is. And, it's, and it's crap, and there's no room for it. So moving on, like I said, I got nothing positive to say there. Don't burn fucking records. You know, <laughs> like, right. I don't care if you don't like them. It's disrespectful. You've never put something out. Don't do that. That's what I'm saying. That. You've never put anything out. So it's like, and that's what I'm getting at. If it's, I threw away a record in the trash, I wouldn't videotape me doing it. Say, internet, look, I hate even Drake right. or whoever the fuck you're talking about. It's just like, dude. Well, that's that's stop. like when uh, I remember when I was first starting out in comedy, I was probably only doing it You know, for a do that bit. to the Lost Prophets. That dude's a child molester. Burn those fucking records. You yeah, know? that makes not sense. Child, not suicide. Not silence, suicide silence. For, yeah, for going out of their comfort zone. Yeah, exactly. For going out of the comfort. That's what I'm saying. Like when I used to do stand up comedy, like used back to. In, used to uh, back in the day, like okay. uh, when I was when I first was starting out, it was like 2004, 2005, and everybody was piling on Dane Cook because he was the biggest comedian in the world at the time, mm-hmm. and everybody was piling in. And I remember doing the same thing, and then I was like, huh? And then one day it hit me: what what would happen if somebody saw what I do? And they just started just railing against me, railing against me. And then you see these internet trolls and they get more and more strength because now it's more likes. You strengthen numbers. Yeah, it's yeah. more likes. Now it's retweets. Oh, oh, shit. Look at this guy talking shit to Dave Cook. Ugh. You know what I mean? Like, really, dude? Like, what? And, it, and that's, that's what I'm saying. Like, the second you have something of your own, that's when you go, eh. Yeah, leave them alone. Yeah, leave them alone. Yeah, I'm never going to talk shit about another podcast. I know how much work it is to write bits. Oh, I will. I know you will. No, to my friends, but I wouldn't yeah. say it uh, like to the That's world. That's what I'm saying. It's a like, I'm not going to go. You know? I'm not going to go on. I'm not going to go on this podcast or or rise to offend the other podcast that Pete and I do. I'm not going to do that and jump on there and just start shitting on someone else's podcast because it's like, what is the, first off? That. First off, what's no. the point? All we're doing is bringing more attention to them. That's all it is. It's stupid. But it's negative attention. And, and it looks like we're, we're envious or jealous in some way. Exactly. The point is, is that respect people that are putting themselves out there. If you're willing to put yourself out there, you'll understand you don't burn people's records, right. man. I mean, that's so. what happens. I mean, you know, and that, isn't it great that we're on a podcast called Metal Sucks and we're over here, which is very, like, condescending. And here we are fucking going, hey, guys, respect metal bands. You know what I mean? Like, respect someone else's heart. Yeah. Really? <laughs> no, I know right? what I'm saying. I think I, I, I know what you're saying, but yeah. So, uh, but yeah. definitely do that. So, uh, <laughs> all right. Sorry. <laughs> so one more story before we get to the interview. Uh, I got a few to pick. Uh, the one I did want to kind of bring up, I mean, we might talk a little longer than we wanted to, but the, um, there was a good article written by Emperor Rhombus about the, um, the extreme bands. They keep writing music about the evil of the Nazi regimes, like the Marduk thing getting in trouble and these, Getting them in, in constant, and, and these bands keep getting in constant trouble. And like, pretty much the article, I think, in a way, was saying like, um, why do bands keep writing about Nazis? You know, why do they keep you know showing these horrific images and this evil and stuff like that? And um, should it just be? Oops, sorry about that. Should it just be retired? You know, should this thing is it is is society not open to this anymore is it keeping metal you know 15 years in the back is it well, given a reason for people to point their finger and say hey we all are ignorant hey we are racist hey we are these things here's 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 where i'm at with it when it comes down to the to, to people that write lyrics about nazis um 
you know, I, I think when you when some of these bands do write those lyrics, I mean, it, it can go both ways. I mean, it's like, are you sympathizing with them or are you pointing out something that happened in history that we can learn from and make sure that we apply to the future? But if your band is about being evil and darkness and war and kind of glorifying, you know, the dark side of, of the mind and, the, mm-hmm. and all that stuff, Nazism is kind of this thing that is like. Well, then you got to strong, I guess, a strong push to scare people or be like, well, these guys are evil. Okay. Now, it's, it's obviously like, a front in a way. It's not like, OK, here's the thing. It's one thing if you're going to be satirical about it, like if you're going to be like Guar, OK, and you're t- and you're writing a song about Nazis. What if you're Slayer and it's Angel of Death? But that's what I'm getting at. All right. It's not satirical. It's not satirical. But again, though, but it's evil. But when you ask them, but when you ask, when you ask them to explain themselves, usually just kind of like, no, we're not Nazis. I just, we're just well, writing a but song that's the about point. It. Do it's, we need to keep writing these songs? Cause we have to, we have to explain, you have to explain yourself as an artist every time you write a song like this now, right? It's wh- going and, and the society's going that way, you know, which is a positive thing in a lot of ways. I mean, should you go against the grain and keep writing these songs? I think the problem I have with it is if you're going to sit there and, and attack someone for mm-hmm. the content in their music. Why is it only metal that has this happen? It never happens in other genres. Never. You listen to hip hop. You listen to some guy. Are you, you sure listen- about never? Like I'm, I'm, I'm not going to say. I'm not saying it gets. It does not get attacked to the degree. Like metal fans will turn. Isn't they- there a lot of country that's like kind of borderline racist that people do kind of shun? Yeah, ex- there is, there is. You know, but again, saying, no, like, but you look at, okay, country, country, though, though, no, but then, then again, you look, you listen to country and got guys like David Allen Coe, who are, yeah, that, who are still he's, pretty, he's an outlaw country Yeah, guy. you're like, he's, he's outlaw popular, country, but, but you know what, dude, the guy's dropping N-bombs, the guy's saying like all this fucking horrific shit in his music, but everyone's like, ah, oh, he's just old school country. And it's like, no, the guy's a fucking scumbag. Acknowledge that shit. You know, and the same thing, same thing can be applied with some of these gangster rappers where it's like, look, how many times do they're like, oh, he's speaking about he's speaking about the ghetto and stuff. It's like, look, I get it. But it's been the same album. It's been the same mindset since the 90s. Yeah, it was great when Snoop and Dre did it. But come on, you got to evolve a little bit. But the thing is, is there's still guys that are writing lyrics about pulling out their gun, shooting someone over fifty dollars. Or, 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 you know, or smacking a fucking, or, or smacking or beating a, women, smacking or beating women when. If gangster rap is dated, like you said, yes. it's dated. It's yes. not really relevant in this time and era. It is. No, it's still relevant. Then isn't like writing songs about Nazi regimes and all that stuff. Maybe that's the same for metal. Maybe you take that same message about like, you know, uh, gangster rap, very homophobic, right. very, you know, anti-women. A lot of things back in the early nineties, right. late, late eighties, that shit. You're saying still flies today? No, no, no. It, but the thing is, though, is it's not as uh, granted. I'm not. I'm not at, in the scene like I am in this metal scene. Yeah. You know what I mean? So obviously, I'm. And I think that's another thing too. Like when you talk to people that that are into hip hop scenes and stuff like that, and you bring that up, they're like, "Well, I hate that too." Now, they'll say, now. "Yeah, they'll say, yeah, I hate that too." And then, but granted, everybody knows all the words to Snoop Doggy Dog's Doggy Style. You know what I mean? Yeah. Or it's like, but that's a classic. But it's like, but then again, though, that was almost like that was one of the first records where they introduced that introduce that style to us but to me it's dated anytime you talk about pulling out a gun in a hip-hop song i'm done i'm over it's you 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 it's the same fucking shit over and over again the thing is with the nazis the thing is with the nazi stuff look we've already heard that the shock value is already gone there you go the shock value is already That's write a question. song write yeah. a song about the oklahoma city bomber you know what i mean or you know what i mean or the unabomber or something like that write a song from that perspective 
But I think the thing is with the Nazi thing, I, I think the reason why some of these guys are writing these songs is because it really is scary when you think about that. We were just talking about the mob mentality. And I think with the Nazi mentality, it's the same exact thing. A lot of these guys got pushed into doing shit that they didn't want to do, but they had to do it or else they were going to get killed or their family was going to get burned or something. And you know? I agree. You can write a great evil song about putting yourself in, in an evil person's shoes. Yes. And like, like I said, the black metal scene, most of the news stories you hear these days, I mean, even like one of the, for me, like my go-to black metal bands, like, you know, if it's Behemoth or even like, I think Knock Mystium is one of the best. You can't listen to, to them and support them because of Blake Judd. You know, Inquisition really blew me away years ago, but then they got ties to like nationalism, you know? And so it's like, that's what's hurting the scene is that they, maybe they should take a break on writing about stuff like that. And that's what this article I think was saying. Well, again, if they, if they don't want anybody to we my need, thing is we need to grow the scene. It's shock value matters in black metal. Shock value is exactly. huge. Okay, right. for that scene, they're wearing corpse paint. A lot of the guys, you know right. what I'm saying. But um, there's a point where we got to get creative with that shock, and uh, maybe 2017 is that. See, point. I think I think right now with the whole Nazi thing or whatever, it's like yeah, that was awesome. I mean, not awesome, but I mean, it was like <laughs> whoa, whoa, settle down. I think whoa. I'm talking about the bands. I'm talking about bands like Slayer and stuff that did it in the I 80s know what you and meant. the 90s, yeah, the 80s the... and the 90s. All right, fine, but now look. We've already had enough bands touch on the same fucking subject matter. There are other atrocities that have happened since then that you can also focus in on instead of just using the same old, you know. No, dude, and that's just it is that I, 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 I feel the same way. I feel like there was a time where serial killers were rampant and that was something to relate to in evil. Serial killers aren't really relevant these days because of how crime is. And uh, now mass shootings are rampant. So there's right. a lot of evil out there. So uh, maybe we can, like you said, scare us by that reality opposed to going way back to when like uh that that time frame so anyways that's uh moving forward my man let's get to this uh great conversation dude um super excited to talk to aaron turner from isis from sumac we're gonna we're gonna jump into this interview right now and here's aaron metal sucks here and we got aaron turner on the phone from isis and uh you know isis had a great run but all good things have to come to an end and while you were on the very last tour with isis was there a a feeling surrounding you guys that this might be it for the band? I don't remember the sequence of events exactly, uh, but I know our initial discussions were we need to take a break. And I, when that first uh, came up, I think, I don't know if that was just to kind of soften the blow because it was such a big deal or whether we really thought that, you know, we might just take a step away for a minute and then and reassess. But uh, I think by the time we had gotten over there for that tour, we had at least brought that subject up and, and expressed a kind of collective exhaustion um, and a need to to, you know, really figure out what our future was going to be. Um, and I don't think it was until maybe our very last, right before our very last U.S. tour where, uh, I think it may have been Aaron Harris actually who said, Hey guys, I need some clarity on this. Is this really a break or is this the end? And that was kind of the moment where we, you know, we, we decided this was really it. Um, so I don't, again, I don't remember exactly where we were in that, uh, progression to disillusion by the time this particular show was recorded um but i i'm pretty sure we knew that at the very least uh there was going to be a long break after that mm -hmm. and when something like that happens is it, is it a sense of relief or is it a sense of sadness 
I can only speak for myself, and I would say that it was mostly the former and a little bit of the latter. Um, I had reached a point, I think, even uh, several years before we wrapped it up where I just started to feel like my enthusiasm was waning and um, our friendships were suffering under the the weight of trying to make the band work, and I really just wanted it to end. Um, and I wasn't quite sure how that was going to happen, but that's what it seemed like to me. Right, writing the last album it uh, was a difficult process, and um, you know there were certainly high points in that process. But yeah, it was it was rough to get to the the point where we actually had a completed album and and felt good about it. Um, so yeah, for me, it was definitely a relief to to feel like okay, this is done. We've done a lot of great work together, and now it's time to do something else. Um, and, you know, it was a little bit hard to say goodbye to it as well, because it had been such a big part of our lives and in many ways it kind of defined who we were over more than a decade and a very formative decade too. I mean, some of us were in our late teens when the band started and, uh, you know, in our early thirties when it ended. Um, so that's a, that's a big transformative period for anybody um and so much of that was so much of that period was spent doing stuff with isis that it would be it would have been hard to just walk away from it without having any feelings of sadness or regret about leaving it behind now on the the latest live record the the one from melbourne we're talking about live seven um which is out now by the way if we haven't mentioned that um the five of the songs off of wave and radiant you guys played you guys played a lot off the new record was those songs difficult to play because the record was hard to play or did you just kind of or is it always in the moment when you're on that stage that you don't really recollect the uh, creation part uh i think our sets were always um based around what we felt the most excited about which had a tendency to be whatever uh the current catalog material was um there were even certain tours where we were playing material that had not yet been released simply because that was what we wanted to be doing. And I think part of what uh, became difficult for us over time was playing the same stuff over and over again. So that's why we always had a tendency to focus most of our set around newer material. Um, We wanted to feel engaged and excited. And uh, as I said, you know, even though the writing process for Wavering Radiant was difficult, uh, I think the end result was something we felt good about. We felt like it was the the, the best representation of what we could um, collectively achieve at that point. So, uh, you know, maybe there was a level of compromise that was going on that wasn't entirely comfortable, and that's how those songs came to be as they were everybody just trying to find common ground and so that was maybe at the 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 back of our mind somewhere um but for the most part i remember those songs being a lot of fun to play live and the ones that we chose to include in the set were the ones that we felt the most excited by uh so um i'd like to think that there weren't very many isis shows um over our entire 
career that we were just kind of dialing it in. I, I feel like we really did try to put all of ourselves into our shows every time we played, which again is part of the reason why I think we needed to stop when we did because it, it was going to reach a point where that wasn't going to be possible anymore. So, um, yeah, you know, there there was there was some difficulty in in trying to get ourselves on the same page, but when we did, I feel like we we committed ourselves to that. Well, I've seen you guys uh, quite a few times, and I'll tell you, um, one time I saw you guys open for Tool at the uh, Hard Rock. It was in like a parking lot area. I don't know if you recall, but I left that show like I, I do remember that remember actually, that? and I left yeah. I left that show, and I was like, I can't believe it, but ISIS blew tool out of the water right and and i was very excited about that and they had the visual and all that stuff and like i said i don't know because of the outside venue if that made it more difficult but i every time i've seen you guys it was just the impression was so strong that it's like that's the only thing i wanted to listen to for like the rest of the week two weeks i'll just delve into that and um so yeah like from from a fan's perspective you guys um the impression you left like from from you know me seeing you guys live was always just like I'm seeing something special, but whenever you see something special, I always have this thing in the back of my mind to be like, it's not going to last. So appreciate it. That's, that's the way I am because a lot of the bands that, um, from my perspective, like, so this is just opinion. A lot of the bands that I do see that are, are, I feel phoning it in and just look are great every night. And it just seems like kind of this really tight thing, but there's not that passion there. I feel like they'll last forever for some reason, but like the special ones, I always, I always feel like, all right, this might be the last time you'll see them. So it's make almost sure like too you much, pay attention. Yeah. It's almost like too much passion can cause too much tension. But also, yeah. You go, uh, go ahead, well, sorry. Uh, sorry, you guys are breaking up a lo- again yes, a little sorry. bit, although I did catch most of that. And that's, it's nice to hear that the live show came across, um, as having conviction because that was always really important to us was to be able to, um, to to play well and to be invested in the performance and without uh, you know without that I don't think that we would have lasted as long as we did and there were some tours that we did with other bands and certainly plenty of shows we just saw as spectators where you could tell that the bands just weren't into it and a lot of them were legacy bands who you know had a name and had a reputation and 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 to me it seemed were doing it because they knew they could not because they wanted to and that was an extremely important distinction for me in isis is that you know we came together because we wanted to do this band and we had a specific vision for it and the only reason to do it or or the main reason to do it is because we loved doing it and uh and that the benefits that we reaped from it outweighed the negative factors and when we saw that pendulum starting to shift the other direction where the band started to seem more like a chore or like an occupation rather than uh you know a source of of creative uh inspiration that was when especially at least for me again i can't speak for the other guys uh it it needed to be put down um because i think that there's nothing there's nothing more disappointing than a great band slipping into mediocrity and i think that the reason that often happens is because people just keep trudging along when their hearts aren't in it anymore and that's a that's that's 
sad for the people who are uh, supporting the band and buying their records and going to see them play. And it's also sad for the people in the band uh, because, you know, uh, creativity isn't an obligation. It's, uh, it, it's a, it's a privilege and a gift. And to squander that, I think is a huge mistake and it can end up killing uh, the, the love that you have for your craft, which again, was what was happening for me. I started to feel like, you know, I wasn't enjoying music anymore. And then I, that I really needed to change what I was doing so that I could rediscover that, um, that spark that was so crucial in the beginning of ISIS. Excellent. And now another question, just, uh, and like I said, just to see if, if it does play a factor when you do have songs like you guys did with ISIS, like, the rehearsal process before going on a tour, was that really extensive or was that something you guys can just do a little bit of, or was it like before the tour you had to perfect that set list? Because I think a lot of bands, it might be a little easier if the songs, you know, the structures weren't as intricate as like what you guys were putting out there for us. Is that, is there any factor to that or no? I think our songwriting was definitely, impacted by the stuff that we found to be inspirational and uh, i think everybody in the band was always looking to the outside just as music listeners just to find what uh, find out what was out there that was interesting and and made us feel excited about music um that said i also think the way we approached our writing was based very much on what we wanted to do and and um I don't know how to put this exactly, but it was like Isis had a particular sound and that sound kind of uh, indicated a path and we just had to follow the path. Um, and the bands that we toured with and the people who are our friends who are musicians inevitably ended up impacting that path. But I think that we would have done what we did regardless of you know, who we toured with or where we went or what label we were on. Uh, we were always very self-driven in that sense. Um, and there was also, you know, uh, a difference of opinion, of course, uh, amongst a group of people um, that are trying to do something together. There were certain bands that we toured with that not everybody liked. Um, and there was obviously a lot of records and artists that each of us enjoy that maybe weren't um, enjoyed by the entire collective. So, you know, uh, everybody brought their own personality to the table, but it was, it was the collective personality that we are, we were able to make out of all that, that um, made it interesting, I think. And uh, your record label, Hydrahead, uh, stopped releasing new music back in 2012, but is now releasing the new Oxbow record. Is this one of is is this a one-off situation or can we can expect more to more of this? Uh, this is a trial period. Uh, Hydrahead has been in the process of, I, I guess what I would call rehabilitation for the last five or so years since we stopped doing new releases. Uh, much like ISIS in a certain way, uh, the people that were involved in running Hydrahead, um, had kind of come to an end point in our ability to work together. And I decided that I needed to take a step back and, and basically take it over completely again. Um, I did have and still have outside help, but 
for the most part, I've been trying to kind of rectify a lot of the problems that I saw mounting over uh, the years that, um, you know, Hydrohead was a bigger, more active operation. We got into uh, a lot of trouble in terms of the organizational slash administrative side of the way the label was run. I mean, it was basically started as a bedroom project by me and then, you know, later involved other people like me, i.e. not business people, just people who liked music, who wanted to contribute to their musical community. And that enthusiasm was really important. Uh, the lack of business sense was ultimately detrimental. So, uh, yeah, there was a lot of problems with debt and accounting to artists and communication amongst coworkers and basically everything uh, that we had done was built on a very shaky foundation. Um, and I needed to just kind of, you know, uh, just, uh, I don't want to say pull the plug because we have been keeping up the back catalog, but I just really needed to, to put the brakes on for a minute and figure out how to rebuild the label in a way that to me felt ideologically and ethically correct. Um, so that's kind of what I've been working on over the last number of years, uh, trying to keep a lot of the old catalog that's still relevant available and also catching up on all the things that we had fallen way behind on over many years of neglect. Um, so that brings us to the current moment where we are releasing this new Oxbow record and we're releasing a new album by the Japanese band Endon. And those are our first new releases in quite a few years. And I just want to take it one step at a time and see, see how it goes and see how it feels and see if I can keep the ship afloat without feeling like, you know, it's a, it's, panic mode every day um and uh, i i'll i'll see where we're at by the end of the year and figure out whether i want to keep doing new stuff or just continue to focus on the back catalog or or stop it all together um i think one of the big changes for me in recent years is realizing that you know again uh passion is the most important part of doing work around creative practices whether it's music or visual art or whatever and if you don't have the passion to keep doing something then there then everything else that surrounds it is irrelevant um and uh that's that's true for me with hydrahead if i still feel like you know i can make it work and there's people whose records i really feel like i want to get behind then i'll keep doing it but if it just ends up being uh, the struggle of, of how to pay the bills and how to make things work, then I'm going to have to put that down as well and, and move on to other things. And uh, for years, like streaming services have kind of always been like the bane of every musical artist. But recently, because of some of these new deals that have been signed, some of these people are starting to see a little bit of profit from these streaming services. Have you noticed a jump in the Hydraheads back catalog? Nope. Nope. <laughs> uh, I, I mean, you know, we make more money off of digital in general now than we did five years ago, simply because that's the way that people, a lot of people now consume music. Um, but I can't say that, you know, the the streaming thing has really been beneficial to running a record label. The, the greatest thing I can say for streaming is that uh, people who would 
wouldn't normally be able to access this music can hear it. And I think that that, that alone is, is a really good thing. I mean, people in faraway places who can't afford to spend $50 getting an LP shipped to them can hear our whole catalog. And that to me is not a bad thing. Um, I think the bigger problem, and this doesn't even have to do with the, uh, the money that may not may or may not be made by labels and artists is just kind of the devaluation of music that's happened as a result of it becoming so um, accessible and uh, as a result disposable. I think people are just so inundated by the amount of music that they can get and the fact that it is no longer in many cases a tangible object has really made it less important um, for people and, and an individual album doesn't have the kind of impact that it did years ago when, you know, you had to wait until release day to hear it and you could only get it from a store and uh, you would see the cover and the liner notes and all that kind of stuff. Um, and I, you know, I don't think it's unusual for artists to lament what technology does to, uh, to, you know, whatever art form it is. Um, and pe people have had a problem with this from a long time ago, including to when, you know, paintings started being reproduced uh, in books rather than just being viewed uh, in person. I mean, I'm sure that that really bothered a lot of people when it started happening um, because it was a, um, uh, a corruption of what the original thing was meant to be. And that's kind of the way I feel about records these days. Um, that said, uh, the most important thing is and will remain the music. If music is reaching people by any, uh, by any means and, and touching them and changing their lives. And that's a good thing. And that's still my motivation for doing it. Uh, and whether or not people are paying for it, um, is less relevant. But as I said a moment ago, it does have an impact on running a label. And I do feel like uh, it is a struggle these days to try to keep up a label. Um, so for me, <laughs> maybe just making my own my own music is more a more enticing prospect than continually devoting energy to other people's music. Um, and I hope that that doesn't sound uh, ungrateful because I feel very lucky to be working with people like Oxbow and I wouldn't be doing their record if I didn't feel really, really strongly about it. But uh, uh, it's, it's a tough thing to, to, to say how music is going to continue on in the way that it is. Um, I mean, nobody, you know, 20 years ago would have predicted what's happened now. Uh, so, you know, it could continue to change and the changes will probably be both good and bad, depending on your point of view. Yes, that's true. So uh, forgive me if I say this uh, incorrectly, but the, the new band you formed with William Fowler Collins is Thalassa. Is that how you say it? Yep. OK, yep. so Thalassa, tell us a little bit about that band, because I'm not super familiar, but I know you guys are going to do some live dates coming up and stuff, right? Uh, yep, we actually just did a couple, oh, and we'll probably do. Yep, and we'll probably do some more down the road. Uh, it's um, 
it's it's an undefined entity in that we've kind of left it open-ended. We will most likely do more, um, but we haven't put any strict parameters around it. And for me, that's been an important part of a lot of the projects I've been involved with, um, not only in the last number of years since ISIS disbanded, but even prior to that. Uh, I liked things that could have a revolving cast of participants and uh, projects that could be active for a while and then lay dormant for a number of years and reactivate without it having to be this kind of ceremonious, self-important thing about whether it exists or doesn't exist. Um, so anyway, that's kind of tangential. But as far as Thalassa itself is concerned, uh, William and I met a number of years ago basically just based around a mutual... Uh, enjoyment of each other's music and out of that the idea to collaborate came um, and uh, there's a lot of stuff that goes on uh, you know in every genre where people have an idea to do a project and they just do file swapping and that was something that uh, William and I um, early on felt like was kind of um, it was it was going to defeat the point of what we wanted to do. Uh, the in-person, face-to-face, creating sound in a room together goal was um, was really crucial, and I think that that definitely um, had a big impact on how the music uh, came together. The, the sounds are very physical. The chemistry of us playing together was um, really uh, potent, I think, and and uh, for me, that's kind of crucial with any particular project. There's got to be an energy and an emotional depth and a feeling of connection amongst the players in order for it to be worthwhile, um, and that was how, how we kind of approached Thalassa. We didn't know where it was going to go. We didn't know what it was going to be. We just decided to play together and, and uh, see what came out of it. Um, and it was a process of, um, you know, several years of listening to the stuff that we had made, having discussions about it, adding things, subtracting things, and then finally feeling like we had shaped, uh, a very cohesive album. And, uh, um, so that's, that's where we are now. Uh, we didn't feel like there was any particular rush to get it out in the world. And I think that that was a good thing as well. I think uh, a long period of incubation and deliberation um, paid off in, in an album that for me feels, uh, you know, very well thought out and very well focused rather than being just kind of a dashed off project. Gotcha. So uh, is that the focus right now or is there something, because uh, for some reason is, we consider like Sumac kind of your flagship right now, your main band. Is that fair to say or not? Uh, yeah, yeah, for sure. And the the intent behind, uh, I mean, I, I do a lot of different things now. Yeah. And again, that's been kind of important for my longevity as a musician is to be able to have the freedom to do a lot of different things and to do projects like Thalassa, which are very open-ended and in some ways uh, undefined. And then doing something like Sumac, which is more of a uh standard uh band in terms of the way that we operate we record we release albums we tour um and uh i like having the flexibility to do uh things that are very different in that way 
Um, and even with the, the regularity that Sumac operates at, it's not the, the same kind of workhorse that ISIS was. And I think that that, for me, is, is also important. I don't, I don't foresee myself at this point or at any point in the near future wanting to be in a band that did what ISIS did in terms of being on the road four to six months out of the year. Um, that kind of uh, endless touring really starts to take it out of me. And I also think that I just have different priorities in life now. I'm married. I uh, had a child recently and, um, Congrats. you know, uh, touring, touring with the same band over and over again just means less time for making new music. And the point for me has largely been pursuing the new rather than reiterating the old. Um, and that's also true of Sumac. Uh, though we do some touring, um, we've been able to be really productive with making new music uh, consistently since we started because we don't spend all of our time out on the road. Uh, so that's, that's kind of where we are now. Um, we're doing a little bit of touring this year, but our main goal is recording another album, most of which is written at this point. So, um, I feel, I feel excited about it and I, I am glad to have a band that is, um, you know, very operational, uh, and, uh, and focused, you know, on doing heavy music, um, can't say exactly what genre it falls into, but I think that's a good thing. But uh, I do feel like heavy music is kind of the thing that I was, um, I, I don't want to say born to do, because that implies an idea of destiny, <laughs> but uh, it does feel like it's my life blood and life's blood in many ways, and it is what I find very gratifying. Excellent, Aaron. So we want to thank you very much. Um, we're going to get some promotion out here. Right now, w the main thing we called about was definitely this ISIS record. It's Live 7 um, from February 25th back in 2010 in Melbourne. It's out now. The vinyl is coming out for you guys out there April 21st. Um, but it's a gr from, from a fan, I'm a fan. Like It's a great presentation of what that band can do powerfully live. And for a lot of fans that are might be listening to us that are newer, it's definitely a great point to jump in, listen to what that band is, and then go back. Sumac's got a new record you said possibly this year. Or did I just say that kind of? Did you say that? Uh, or, I, I, or we're going to record it this year. It'll probably be out uh, uh, early next year, but um, we're certainly going to be pretty active. So, uh, Excellent. And then Hydrahead Records, guys, It you know the new Oxbow is coming out. So pretty much... Everything Aaron's been doing, it's 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 what we're all about, you know, promoting and everything, you know, the underground, the legacies, all these things that are great. So definitely check out this ISIS record, Aaron. I want to thank you from the bottom of our heart for let's uh, give you a call today for the interview, and um, you know, we'll talk to you soon, hopefully. All right, thanks a lot, guys.
Seattle Sucks Podcast.
All right, guys. So uh, we played a couple songs for you guys. First one is uh, uh, Ghost Key off the new live ISIS record. As you heard in the interview, probably the last one. He kind of said, it, you know, he didn't have other stuff. You never know. But uh, they did record the show, so it might be on DVD. That was what from like that was from years ago. Oh, yeah, it was. Uh, so this is like way before is, they even broke up, too. Not way before it was the last tour. But anyways, the point is, is that it, this might be the last record that they put out. Um, so. Go get it. I have it. It's phenomenal. They put it out on vinyl a couple weeks back. Check it out. And the next song is from a newer band. Uh, this song was premiered on Metal Sucks. We uh, wanted to share that one with you, too. It's from a band called With Our Arms to the Sun, and the song is called Memory the Drift. So uh, that's it for this week. All right, guys. We'll see Metal you guys Sucks, next man, week. And we will see you guys next week with a non-metal guest, but uh, I think you guys will love the interview. Yeah, and so. we promise we won't talk about Nazis. Promise. That's a I'm promise that from, That's a promise from me to you. And our bit will be funnier. <laughs> that's pretty much it for Metal Sucks. That's how I want to end the show every week. <laughs> You're a fucking ass. I know. Alright, guys, Metal Sucks over and out. Bye-bye. See ya. This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network.